Oh, I love the hymns. Having not grown up with them, it has been such a joy over the last several years to get to sing about the Savior's love and how he holds us fast. Uh, We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning, so go ahead and open your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 14, and we will be in verses 25 through 35 together. And let's read the word of the Lord together. Thank you again, Steve, for letting us preach the word. Thank you, Justin, for last night. An absolutely incredible uh, opening session. I'm grateful for your ministry. It is challenging, it's sharpening, and it is motivating uh, to remember that what Jude wanted to do was talk about our common faith, but we had to be exhorted to contend for the faith once for all given. Uh, let's go ahead and read Luke fourteen twenty five through 35. Now great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus continues, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your everlasting word preserved through the ages. For the reminder of that through the Bible exhibit, even at this conference, and how you have used men continuously to preserve that very word. Today we rejoice in it. Uh, We ask for you to lead us and guide us according to it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, open our eyes, uh, renew our minds, refresh our motivation to be faithful disciples, understanding that there is no middle ground. We must be all in for you, faithful each and every day to the calling that you have placed upon us. Mighty King Jesus, you reign and you rule. We look forward to the day when you return, but for now we are committed to carrying on the work that you began and you have commissioned us to do. Through this text, carry us onward in that work. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Well, over the last 40 years, uh, American evangelicalism has enjoyed uh, a high point. It's been a pinnacle. Uh, We've turned the Lord Jesus Christ into a commodity, most certainly. We've created churches that are full of consumers. Discipleship has become a Ponzi scheme, and it's all been a way that we can build our thing. Americans are really good at that. We're capitalistic. We continue to view ourselves as the center of the gospel. And so pastors become salesmen of a man-centered gospel. Based on the text we just read from Luke, that is anything but what Jesus intended for a true and faithful disciple that he commissions. 
Uh, we sell a version of Jesus that is bearded and blue-eyed and cuddly and will give you your best life now and care for you and everything will be okay now. We sell a version of Jesus who uh, will allow a little bit of trouble in our life, like a good movie plot. There has to be some sort of twist or, or trouble. But in the end, now, everything is going to be perfect. Uh, even just last night, I was reminded how erroneous that view is, as while I was here, I got the news that a church member had passed away at the young age of 58. A faithful church member, leaving behind, behind a wife and children, uh, that man was a faithful follower of Christ. Where is his best life? Where is the immortality? It's not there. For the Christian, heaven is coming. Life is short. We don't know when it will end. And that is not the consumeristic version of Christianity that we have come to know in evangelicalism today. In the end, many sell a gospel that will end in us being rich, us being liked, us being comfortable. Surely American evangelicalism has lost its way. None of this matches the true picture of discipleship. In fact, when multitudes gathered and it was popular to follow Christ, what did he do? He told them hard truth. He thinned out the ranks of people who were coming to him just for another miracle, just for another uh, loaf of bread or fish, just for another sign, and just for another wonder. Uh, for the true disciple of Christ, there is no guarantee of a retirement in the Caribbean, a lake house, a Bentley, or otherwise. There is only the guarantee that it will cost you much because it has costed Christ much long before. If you're taking notes, I'll give you the first of today's points. It is that a true disciple loves Christ most. A true disciple loves Christ most. We see uh, in Luke fourteen twenty five. now great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, Jesus has a crowd following and simply says, here, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother, he uses a strong word. It doesn't literally mean hatred in the way that is full of animosity, but a way that is a lesser love. You must love Christ most if you are a true disciple. Certainly, Jesus understands that there are superficial followers, and there are many superficial followers still today. Pastors would do well to step in the pulpit and lay out the truth the way it ought to be laid out, and thus save the church many headaches through false converts that continue to fill the seats and make us think that we're doing true gospel ministry. Jesus thinned out the ranks by going further. You must also hate mother and wife and children and brothers, sisters, and yes, even your own life. You cannot be a disciple of Christ if you don't have a lesser love for your own life, your own comfort, your own skin. Uh, many times we simply have Jesus as our footnote to the good life. He's the way to fill the piggy bank. But if you do not love him as the be-all and the end-all of your life, you don't have a true love for Christ. Therefore, you are not a true disciple. A true disciple loves Christ most, and is willing to lose everything in order to gain Christ. That is, at the end of the day, what Jesus was saying in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10, verses 35 through 37. He was warning his disciples of a time that would come in which families would be divided. He says, for I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In fact, even before that statement in verse 34, Jesus had made a very clear statement. I did not come to bring peace, he said, but a sword. Jesus divides. The true Jesus divides. The false Christ that is taught many times today does not divide. When you see a group of people that are able to simply let bygones be bygones, and I don't mean just forgiving the past. I mean that the essentials are tossed out the window, and you can believe in your Jesus, and I'll believe in my Jesus, and we could just all kumbaya this thing off into the sunset. That is a false Christ. That is a false Christ. Martin Luther said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. We must be willing to pay the price, and a true follower of Christ will love him most Jesus promised that loyalty to him and allegiance to the truth would bring division in homes. Even those that we love the most, often it's the most painful experience because we're simply trying to follow Christ and do what's right. We're simply trying to obey what his word says, and it's hard to understand why some people just won't surrender to that same truth. As much as we see in the text that following Christ is very costly, uh, Paul even goes into a different category and says, there's actually a lot of joy and contentment in godliness. It can be a means of great gain. Actually, there can be a great time of rejoicing when believers come together in unity, and many of us simply just want that for our family. But ultimately, disloyalty and compromise are not acceptable for the true follower of Christ, and Jesus was clear. Uh, This is a, a passage and even a truth that I used to nod my head at as though I knew what it meant. Uh, Only when I began to truly follow Christ, He opened my eyes, the power of the Holy Spirit through illumination in my conversion. He regenerated my heart, and soon I could think of nothing else but following after Him. The old Costi was gone. The new Costi had come. I was a new creation in Christ, and there I was, and I thought, well, surely everybody else wants to know about this in my family. I'll, I'll I should call my dad. I should call my mom. When they come to visit, what I'll do, I think I know what I'll do. I used to be a pastor. Now I'm a pastor in training because I figured out that I was a false pastor. And so what I'll do is I'll pull out 1 Timothy 3, I'll read all my John MacArthur books and read pastoral ministry, and then I'll sit down with my dad and I'll I'll lay out all the qualifications. I mean, surely everybody else was as lost as me, and if they just saw this, they would get it too. And so... I began to make the family phone calls, and I came to find out that Jesus' words just weren't hyperbole. They weren't some metaphorical picture of, well, it's going to be a little bit tough. He is literally saying He will be the dividing line. And as I made those calls, and I begged my family, and I begged my sisters and brother-in-laws and many others to, to turn from that world that we are a part of, I, I would exclaim, uh, we've been false pastors, we've been false converts, uh, we need to call Uncle Benny, we need to sound the alarm, let's just go the other way. Look how awesome this is. There's so many wonderful people who are true Christians. There's these things called real churches, and guys get in the real pulpit and they preach the real word. Let's do that. Come on, this is awesome. You've got to meet some of these people. I know John MacArthur, I know Uncle Benny wanted to blow his head off with the Holy Spirit machine gun, but trust me, he's not that bad. You could have what I have. I found Christ. He revealed himself to me. He opened my eyes. I was lost. Now I'm found. Come on. And in the end, 
It fell on deaf ears. Soon I was considered unloving, too controversial, ruined by the dead churches, ruined by the Baptist, ruined by the angry cessationist John MacArthur, ruined by you, ruined by apparently God's true word. The true disciple must at all costs still stand for Christ. Uh, The reality that I was on my own with my wife was sobering, but also very encouraging because I then understood another clear truth in that my marriage was my first ministry and that God had given me a wife who would be one flesh with me and who would go on this journey with me and we would follow him together. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that. Uh, If all you have in the end is Christ, when you stand for Christ, it is enough. Christ is enough. Carrying on, number two in your notes, a true disciple denies himself. He doesn't just love Christ most, but he denies himself. Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is an impossibility here that Christ is laying out for you. It's not possible. There is no middle ground. This isn't the the stages of discipleship. And so some of you over here, you need to kind of just take that step today and go from being an average disciple to an above average disciple. And you over here, well, you're a little more advanced, but there's a more excellent way. And so today, I want you to see that it's time to kind of go to a whole nother level. No, that is just some foolish gospel, some foolish theology, some foolish version of discipleship. This is an all-in or all-out dividing line moment. We must understand that a true disciple is willing to deny himself. You can't hold on to any part of you if you will follow all of Christ. The cross of Christ was selfless sacrifice. The denial of all the divine rights that he had access to. Justin laid it out last night. He was fully God and fully man, at any time able to simply unleash his glory upon humanity, and yet goes to the cross in a position of submission to the Father's will for you and I? That is self-denial by the God-man himself. Sin and ambition and selfish desires and comfort and ease and popularity for the disciple of Christ, it no longer governs our passions. Those passions are put away. That is the old nature. That is gone. And though we wage war against sin in the flesh, we know who has won victory over sin and over death, and we take great confidence in what Christ has given. False teachers will promise that following Jesus will make your life better more relationally blessed, that that promotion is coming, that you are of good stock, as one southern Houston megachurch pastor often says. If you do not deny those pleasures, deny any type of promotion that is not centered on Christ, deny the ease and the comfort for Christ, I have news for you. You will not experience your best life now. You will experience an empty shell of a life that will only lead you to an eternity without the very Christ you think you have. We must understand that self-denial is a mark of a true disciple. Jesus continues. 
in verse 28, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. It is a mockery. It is foolishness to make a profession of faith, to say you follow Christ, but not actually mentally make any type of thought to the sacrifice that it will take. A true Christian must understand what they're in for. Otherwise, prove to be a marginally, uh, even outside the camp, falsely professing Christian, and a bad one at that. Certainly, Jesus carries on and makes it even more clear with this illustration Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel, whether is he strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? All I think of when I read Christ's illustrations here are the masses who raise their hand, make professions of faith, and then go on their merry little way thinking that they're saved. They're, They're not even walking the fine line. They haven't even crossed the line. They're in an unregenerate state still. So many people think they're Christians, and they're not. Jesus is saying so clearly, there is a process. There is a planning. There's a prudence to it. You're literally saying, your Lord, I'm not. Your God, I'm not. Your way, not my way. I'm going to lose a lot, but I'm going to gain you. It's worth it. And like Paul, you say, I count it all rubbish. Who cares? Who cares? Let relationships fall by the wayside. Let myself fall by the wayside. Let accolades and advancements and everything else under the sun that a false teacher will promise me, let it all fall by the wayside if I can have the true Christ. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. I love this. Turn with me just a couple pages over in the Gospel of Luke to Luke 18. Jesus, so clear, and we'll let the Bible speak to the Bible here, as he meets a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler thought, well, I let me have it, Jesus. Let me have that good life. Let me get eternity. And a certain ruler questioned in verse 18 him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. I'm laying out all the steps. I'm doing them. I'm walking the road. Here I go. In verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he says to him, one thing you still lack, Mr. Do-it-all. One thing. You think you got it? No. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Deny yourself. Deny the riches. But when he, the rich young ruler, had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, Then how or who can be saved? But he said, The things impossible with men are possible with God. A perfect illustration of what happens if we are not willing to give up self for Christ. 
we must be willing to give it all up. It doesn't depend on controversy. Our faithfulness to Christ does not depend on whether it's popular or whether it's comfortable. Our faithfulness to Christ is only dependent on His faithfulness to us, which is enough, which means we must and will be faithful to Him if we are a true disciple. I like to call it the mushy middle. That's the area of so-called evangelicalism in which everyone tends to live in these days. It's a place of tolerance. You get interviewed and asked, is abortion a sin? Well, you know, I like to get to know people before I really say what's sin. How about we get to know our Bible and understand that what the Bible says is sin is sin. I don't need to know people to know what the Bible says. I simply look, if Christ said it, the Bible's clear, it is what it is. That's a real pastor that looks at the Word and says what the Word says. The mushy middle, marriage, you know, I don't know. I can't judge someone's heart. No, but you can judge rightly what the Word of God says. Deny yourself, deny some followers, lose some Facebook friends or whatever. Who else cares what else you're going to lose? Gain Christ. Be known for truth. That is a true disciple, and that's a true pastor. Heard one famous preacher said, I don't really talk about controversial issues. I stay in my lane. If you are a pastor, your lane is preach truth, refute error, no matter the controversy. Your job is to stay in Christ's lane and do your job. That sort of thinking is what causes preachers to waver on truth when they're put in the spotlight. It is the mushy middle. It's where it's okay to not be okay. Oh, you know, it's the antinomianism, the sin. Well, you know... It's all grace. I mean, you don't, uh, who, who knows? I don't know. Romans, ah, Paul, you know, wretched man that I am. I don't know. It's all this mushy garbage. Paul would actually, if he was alive today, simply call it the same rubbish that he considered was rubbish compared to knowing Christ. It, it belongs in the trash. It isn't the refined gold. It isn't what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. That's not going to come out as a reward, as a precious stone. That's going to be wood, hay, and straw that burns. It's going to be ash, dust in the presence of Christ one day. That is not true discipleship. Ultimately, we must deny self. I love J.C. Ryle on this very topic, preaching uh, this text and some others, he says, there is nothing we naturally dislike so much as trouble about our religion. We hate trouble. We secretly wish we could have a vicarious Christianity and could be good by proxy and have everything done for us. Anything that requires exertion and labor is entirely against the grain of our hearts, but the soul can have no gains without pains. He was talking not about a works salvation, but about the works that come after you are truly saved. Friends, it is not works that save you, but once you are saved, you have work to do, and that work will cost you greatly. If you aren't willing to lose yourself to gain Christ, you have no business calling yourself a disciple of Christ. And finally, Jesus makes it clear, a true disciple stays the course. Number three, if you're taking notes, a true disciple stays the course. He or she loves Christ most, is willing to deny self, and stays 
the course. Jesus says, therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it, does he? He would lose a lot of followers if he were on Larry King or Pierce Brought, whoever else, the Pierce Morgan, whatever else. I don't watch the news much, so you can tell. Uh, Some of these shows. If Jesus was on The View, they'd kick him off. He doesn't sugarcoat it. If you're claiming to be a disciple, but you've lost your flavor for fear of culture, you are not a true disciple. If you have given up or lost flavor because of peer pressure, you're not a true disciple of Christ. Sickness, suffering, questioning, trials, all of it. You must not trade true discipleship for those things, or you have proven yourself not to be a true disciple. Uh, The worst thing about salt in the Bible days was that it could lose its flavor. Now, we don't really even understand sometimes that because of the processed salt we have, salt doesn't lose its flavor, but they didn't have that technology in the times that Jesus walked the earth. Salt could lose its flavor, and once it did, it was useless. It was simply tossed It couldn't even fertilize the manure, help with soil. It couldn't do anything even worthwhile. It was simply tossed out. That is what Jesus is saying a false disciple is good for. Sometimes we like to say, I even am guilty of saying it. Oh, the Lord uses it all. Well, certainly He does, but that doesn't negate a false movement. Notice often that it's clear from the true preachers, they'll say, yes, there are many sheep that are scattered, but they will not stay in a false church or a false movement. They will come out and be drawn out. That is because they are sheep. They will be salty. They won't lose their flavor and stay in lostness. We need to even be careful calling false pastors or false ministries Uh, A season in my life that, you know, the Lord brought me along, and there's a lot of good people. We must be clear. There is a line down the middle, and it is the all-in crowd here, and it is the all-out crowd there. I had a faithful and wise man correct me on that early in my conversion in ministry because I was having a hard time processing the emotions of losing my entire family. And I thought, well, I mean, was it all bad? There were sometimes a clear gospel message, right? And that is the place in which Satan is introducing destructive heresy. That is why there will be a lot of truth, and it will be poisoned with error. It only takes a drop of poison, doesn't it? That is not an excuse and does not negate falsehood and false conversion and false discipleship. If you do not have a knack for interrupting the taste buds of people around you, check your saltiness. If it's not there, Justin said last night, you need a heart check. And I would say you need a conversion check. What if the faithful men who actually wrote down the Bibles that we're enjoying at the conference didn't stay salty? What if they didn't stay the course? What if they weren't willing, like John Wycliffe, to stay the course? He would influence John Huss, one of my favorites, who would influence Martin Luther, who would declare, my conscience is held captive to the Word of God. John Knox, one of my favorites, one of our pastors on staff, loves him so much, he named his his second-born son Knox Calvin. (laughs) 
Not hard to guess on his theology, is it? And little Knox Calvin, you know, my little boy Titus says, Noxie, Noxie, his little buddy. He'll grow up with an, uh, an everlasting reminder until they go off into glory, Lord willing, they'll do ministry together. Of his friend named Knox Calvin, it was John Knox that said, give me Scotland or I die. Faithful men staying salty all the way through, true disciples. You can give God your mushy middle evangelical 60 years. If you're not faithful until 70 and you go home then, you are going to meet your maker and it may not go the way you thought it would. We must stay the course. William Tyndale's tied to a stake to be strangled and burned. What's his last words? Oh, I, I should have put more in the 401k. Oh, I... I forgot to cut the lawn before I go. Uh, The car payment, uh, man, I really should have got that promotion. No. Lord, open the King of England's eyes. The gospel is on his mind. Christ is on his mind. Regeneration is on his mind. Not the failing and fleeting comforts of this world. Friends, it's easy to sit inside the comfort of our churches and our four walls and grow very, very complacent. We must every day live with the edge that the faithful men and women who have gone before us live with. If you are not paying the price yet, if you have not lost something for gaining Christ, and you consider yourself a true disciple, I exhort you and encourage you and challenge you, go do something to sacrifice for Christ. Go do something to lose something. Prove yourself to be a faithful and true disciple. Open up your mouth at work. Open up your mouth in the store. Open up your mouth at Thanksgiving in a few weeks. Do something to stir the pot. Be salty. Flavor the environment around you. Don't be found wanting when it comes to being bold about your faith. Jesus does not call temporary disciples. He has called us to be unwavering ambassadors, faithful day in and day out. I want you to turn with me in closing to my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 22 and let us look at the words of Christ. Should you ever need a reminder as you enjoy the beautiful weather, the trees that actually have colors on them, Here in Redwood City, as you enjoy your life, remember the words of Christ. And I, where there are many palm trees and no colored trees, will do the same. Jesus says, behold, in verse 12 of Revelation 22, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everybody who loves present participle and practices present ongoing habitual practice of lying. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel 
to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of prophecy in this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. And John closes this great book, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. Sobering words to remind us the King is coming. He brings with him rewards and also a flaming sword of judgment for those who are found to be false. Let's be true disciples. Let's count the cost. Let's take up our cross and let's follow after him. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son our mighty king, the warrior king, the lamb that was slain, the perfect and spotless one who has bought us and called us his own. The one who we look to in the dark days, the one who we look to when it seems that around us all of culture is waning and the church is fading and we've lost our saltiness and therefore so many are proving to not even be your true disciples. Raise up the true church, raise up disciples who will fight for the faith. Let us be found faithful, please, I pray. All for the glory of you, King Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Thank you for calling us here today. Thank you for your everlasting word and the direction and purpose it gives. That is the purpose-driven life. It is the life in you, not a foolish and fleeting life that will pass away, but the life that is purposeful in you, mighty King. That is the life we want, the abundant life with you in eternity. We thank you for it. We look forward to it and are committed to being faithful with the work we have to do here today. In your name, Jesus, amen.